Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here, another episode of ATDC Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. We're going to be talking with Monique Mills, the ATDC Retail Tech Program Manager, and Pete Santora with Software Automation. Welcome, Monique. Well, thank you. <laughs> so tell us about the ATDC Retail Tech Program. Um, what do you do? What are you up to? And how do people uh, kind of work with you? Sure. The Retail Tech Program is actually pretty new. Uh, it was uh, created in 2017 from a generous uh, sponsorship from the Mukherjee Foundation. And uh, the program is meant to assist founders that have innovative technologies that are transforming the retail industry. And the founders that are brought in are able to utilize um, our, our, all of our resources here at ATDC. And with me in particular, they get me as a coach to help them with all types of things related to um, bringing their product to market, fundraising, and so on. So now, uh, have you always been involved in the retail tech world? or um, I've always been involved in tech. I'm an engineer by degree. Uh, I've been involved in dealing with small businesses as well as large corporations. And I have a background in um, working with retail companies with the tech startup I created several years ago. And uh, who have you brought with you today? I have Pete Santora from Software Automation. All right. So, Pete, tell us about software automation. How are you serving folks? Um, yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, software automation is like Tesla for sewing. Uh, so we are a robotic sewing company. We use cameras and sensors to map fabric. And we use um, robotics to steer the fabric through the sewing needle. So um, looking around, uh, everyone's clothes in here are made by hand. About 90 to 95% of industry's clothes, uh, apparel um, clothes are made by hand. Um, and the problem is that fabric's not rigid. So uh, it distorts. You can, uh, all the things we love about it, it's breathable, it's soft, it, it moves with our body. That's all the reasons why it um, doesn't act like wood or metal when you try and automate the machines around it. Um, even when the sewing needle goes into the actual fabric, the fabric will distort. So it becomes um, incredibly difficult to automate. And then, so uh, what was kind of the thought process around software automations? Yeah, big idea. Yeah. Um, so uh, originally, um, it was part of a project with um, the U.S. Defense Department through grant funding through DARPA. Um, and so that's a logical progression, right? That's right. Yeah. Very logical. <laughs> um, at Georgia Tech, it's logical. Um so the big uh, the big issue was that all U.S. military clothing need to be made in the U.S. Um, and with 140,000 plus um, uh, apparel and seamstress workers, there weren't that many in order to to kind of make this clothing in the in the long term. So it became a risk. Uh, so they wanted to start uh, investing resources into um, solving that problem. So we weren't reliant on um, external markets. And then how'd you get involved with them? So I was an entrepreneur in residence here at ATDC. Um, 
and one of the innovation catalysts and software was one of the companies on the floor that we work with. Um, I wasn't directly working with them, uh, but then our general manager, um, uh, KP Ready, became uh, CEO, and um, I started to do a little work with them, and just it was one of those companies that you do some work and you realize the customers just don't have any alternatives. Uh, there's nowhere they can really go to to try and solve this. Um, and we we had a huge um, opportunity in front of us. So now how did the ATDC help the company? Um, the ATDC helped the company uh, in lots of ways. So uh, the first way was, um, you know, kind of the basic uh, things that you need as a growing company, like office space and um, some, some uh, you know, just uh, access to Wi-Fi and room for your employees and, and then some basic administrative uh, duties like what do I do for HR, what's the, you know, the best way to hire people, um, but also tie them together with an entrepreneur in residence who has grown a business. Um, and, you know, uh, raised capital, grown the business, sold the business, um, made uh, money in that process and knows some of the pitfalls. So obviously tying um, that, uh, you know, a company that's coming out of Georgia Tech, um, out of research and development into a, a, a corporate entity um, is a very... Uh, it's a really, really difficult process. I mean, researchers don't really like to commercialize. They like to research, um, and they'll just keep researching and researching. Um, in many ways, there's there's a lot of good things to come out of that, um, but there's also, you know, how do you actually turn that into a business uh, with the recurring revenue and growing staff and, and, and an exit strategy? And I think that's something that the entrepreneurs and residents at ATDC do well. Now, your background is um, kind of unusual in the sense that you started out not, uh, you were an athlete, right? Yeah. So that was your background as an athlete. So you understood the team and things like that, maybe culture better than some of the people that started out in a business track. Um, yeah, I don't know if I understand it um, better. I understand uh, the concepts of team extremely well. I understand um, the benefits of talent. Um but you know, also putting the right people in the right role. Absolutely. It's the absolute kind of fundamental principle. It's one is how do you work together? And two is, uh, what are the positions and how, um, how do you slot the right resources into those positions? The two absolute critical pieces of, of winning. Now, does that, uh, do you think that that is helping take, uh, software uh, automation to the next level? Um, I mean, I'd love to, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, if you look at kind of, uh, if you look at knowledge, uh, general knowledge, like your, your skills, maybe an engineer, you look at your cognitive knowledge, ability to kind of, um, learn, know what's around you, be able to take in outside, um, information and emotional intelligence. I think emotional intelligence is absolutely one of the most critical pieces of, of building a startup company. Um, if you don't have people who are capable of that, um, you, you fall into this, um, you can fall into a very negative uh, cultural uh, loop. Um, so yeah, so I, I like to think that uh, that's one of um, the things that we look at and, and hope that we're um, getting right. Now, as your role of chief commercial officer, what does that exactly mean? Oh, um, it's the classic uh, startup master of many hats. Um, but chief commercial officer is, you know, sales, marketing, support, 
Um, and in my case, a lot of it is um, a mix between um, marketing, PR events like this, um, uh, sales engineering. So we, I spend a lot of time on the on the factory floor. Uh, so last week I was I was just telling Monique I was in Frankfurt, Germany, and then Romania, uh, Timmy Shore, Romania, which I did not know where that was uh, before. But inside factories, looking at how they engineer their products, how they design their products, and then how automation may be able to either. Um, you know, how we can either recreate that or how we need to think about how we design for automation. So how do we change the product to best fit um, for automation in the future? And then uh, come back and work with our engineering staff to um, uh, to make the necessary changes in order to, to solve for that problem. And I think, you know, we try as a ATDC company to productize as much as possible. And I think for some products in this industry, it's worked really well, like a, a basic T-shirt. Uh, but some products, um, they're still just a, a, a kind of um, custom uh, consultative nature to solving those problems. So um, kind of requires being uh, feet on the street. So now, um, how does your software automation affect like supply chain and uh, like where the rubber hits the road? Yeah, so... Um, you know, we used to have, if you looked at the footwear industry, we used to have 40,000 footwear factories in the Northeast. Um, it was a major employer of, uh, and, and generally speaking, the textile industry has been so labor intensive, it's always a huge employer of people. Um, today, we have 40 factories in the Northeast. So um, a, a fairly- and they're producing the same amount or more than no, the 40,000? No, they produce a very, very small number of footwear in relation to, um, to their size. So um, it's just gotten too expensive. Um, and so the, the supply chain for apparel is um, almost entirely centered in, uh, in Asia and, um, and in Central America for some basic goods for us. So- um, the reason why this type of automation is is so important, if if you look at again looking at shoes because it's the most clear cut example, in order to uh, to get the shoe that's on your feet into the stores, I have to forecast that you will buy that shoe eighteen months ahead of time. Okay, so I have to design what that shoe is going to be like for that weather, for that uh, color palette. Uh, for that particular customer's 18 months and the numbers that I should have for each um, category. So if the weather's wetter, if purple is better than uh, green, if there's any change in that, um, what happens is um, 30 to 40% of shoes are go unsold um, in that or go through such a heavy discounting. Is that just a rule? It is a rule. 30 to 40%. That's right. They're, they're off by that much. They're off by that much. And many of them will tell you it's the 40, not the 30. <laughs> so it's not an exaggeration. It's just a huge number. And if you think about it, who can forecast 18 months ahead of time? For well, obviously demand? not those people. Correct. <laughs> um, but they spend a lot of money trying to figure <laughs> right. out how to well, do that. Well, it makes a big difference. If you go from 40 to 30 or 30 to 28, you're, that's noticeable. That's right. And so you have these um, you have these long design cycle times back and forth. You have shipping. You have the actual making. You have the shipping, the transportation of the goods. Um, and so even for a basic T-shirt, you're talking about twelve to fifteen w weeks to go from order, kind of uh, from order to to shirt at your retail store. So um, so with the supply chain uh, mostly overseas, it makes it very hard for retailers to be um, uh, reactive, like nimble. And that's right. 
adapt, be nimble, be flexible. What's the consumer want? Oh, they changed. How do I now change for right. that? Purple is a terrible color now. Why did we do purple? <laughs> we need green, idiotic. more green, more green. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, light green, dark green. <laughs> right. I need greens in between. So, uh, so what this uh, this type of technology does is is designed to make the manufacturing of apparel and and footwear labor independent. Um, and if, if we can make it labor independent, then we can make it anywhere in the world. And why make it anywhere other than close to your customer? Um, because not only be, does that allow you to be more flexible, but allows you to carry less inventory. Um, so less inventory all the way through the process, um, give you a quicker uh, turn to customers, makes the customer happy, makes the retailer happy, makes the manufacturer happy because now they have less work in progress. Um, they're not taking orders, having to store all this inventory as they make the good and, and then ship it out. There's less hoping. Uh, there's a lot less uh, spreadsheeting, <laughs> I think. Um, the num- You know, you go into some of these brands and you think it's going to be all sexy and you hit the floor and it's just computer screen after computer screen, station after station with multiple screens up with spreadsheets. I'm talking a person <laughs> with four screens and a laptop and all of them have spreadsheets um, up there. And so you can... And they're, and they're off by 40%. And they're off by 40%. <laughs> so so. I, don't, I don't know if more spreadsheets is helping. Uh, I, it definitely <laughs> less uh, would probably give them the same. I don't know. <clears throat> so now you guys come in and then what changes? So we come in um, and we look at product um, and what we try and do is create a, a local manufacturing loop. So how can we manufacture this product closer to where the end customer is? Um, what is, where's is the fabric coming from? Um, what's the process to take it from fabric roll to finish good? And then, um, how do we get it? Are we putting it into a, um, a kind of short-term inventory or is it going direct to retail or direct to customer? And so we're really designing the robotic process to, um, to go from w- what we call cut pieces. So the fabric comes in on a roll, it gets cut from that point to finish good is where our robotics comes into play. But we can't sell that solution unless we have the answers for them on the other pieces. Um, and so we, we have to develop these kind of future factories in order to help them understand, um, you know, how we can process, uh, these goods and how many goods. And then, um, yeah, and then they buy uh, physical work lines, as we call them. It, so for the T-shirt work line, it's about 17 robots um, that that work together in order to construct this T-shirt. And then, um, and then we place them into uh, their factory here in the U.S. or in Europe, um, or we um, place them inside of our own facility in order to make the good for them. And then where are you at right now? Are these things operational or you're, you need more people to try them? Um, yeah, so they're operational and home goods. So bath mats, pillows, uh, we're doing that today. Um, and those are inside the factory working 24-7. Uh, the apparel, the T-shirt work line uh, will go into the first factory in um, at the end of this year, December, January, this um, year, next year. And we've... Um, that has come from, we've moved the first uh, Asian manufacturer from Asia to the U.S. to set up a um, garment factory, the first time that's ever happened. So there's a lot of um, new business models that are trying to take advantage of this type of technology. So now what's your biggest challenge? Um, it's hard as hell. I mean, it's, uh, f- you know, robotics is easy in the sense that 
um, you can do something once, um, pretty simple inside of a lab, right? So you get on LinkedIn or you get on YouTube and you see a robot do something cool. Right, you're like, wow, that's uh, amazing. That means nothing. There's no (laughs) robotics executive that will tell you like, oh, they know, they can't count on whatever that is to actually work. Um, inside the factory because I, I can't have but it But even work. though that's its promise. Correct. It's, it's going to work. It, it's, it's isolated. They've isolated <laughs> right. all the variables, right. right? And I don't need it to work nine out of 10 right. times right. because it's, nine out of 10 times is going to be a huge failure rate, right. right? I'm failing at 10%. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of material. That's a lot of people's hours. It's a lot of maintenance um, hardware. I need it to work 999 I won't go the fourth nine because that's more IT related. If I get ninety nine point nine out of a hundred, then then I'm then I'm happy, and that's what the that's what the factory really needs. So going from one time in the lab to uh, to twenty four seven seven days a week, that's where the complexity is. Um, you need engineers. You need good engineers, software, uh, mechanical engineers, um, in our case, vision engineers as well. Um, yeah, so. Uh, that's that's always complex getting that kind of talent. We don't have a big robotics um, ecosystem here in Atlanta. You're talking about Pittsburgh. Uh, you're talking about New York. You're talking about Silicon Valley. Um, those Chicago. Those are really kind of your your primary areas, and then your secondary are Seattle and L.A. Um, and so Atlanta. Um, though we have a good mechanical engineering school, and we do have uh, robotics people coming out, seasoned robotics people is uh, is always a challenge. So you need more ta- talent. I need more. I need more. Um, yeah, I need more adults. <laughs> and then that's where the ATDC can help. Yeah. Um, I mean, ATDC helps, uh, from one, I, I need more bodies, I need more mechanical engineers, I need more vision people. So, um, ATDC helps with, um, all of our acquisition of talent, whether we're, you know, involved in one of the events, um, or just from our history of working with ATDC, our access to Georgia tech is, is very good. And 40% of our staff is Georgia tech. So, um, we have a, a very large contingent there. Um, and then I think just generally as, um, as entrepreneurs access to, um, additional, uh, funding rounds to be able to hire all those engineers, um, is always an important, uh, reason to be a part of, um, ATDC just gives us access to things that we may not have access on our own. Now, do you have to work with the universities to kind of create a curriculum that bubbles up these people that have these specialized skills? I, you know, I don't have time to work with them. I mean, if yeah. they can't bubble their talent up, I just have to go to somewhere else and get so them. So where are they? There's universities um, that are investing in this? There are universities that invest in this, absolutely. And I, I mean, Georgia Tech invests a, a, a lot into these categories. And, and we do so many research projects, right, that, they're, um, that, that students are getting uh, experience in this. Um, but... But when it comes to um, and so that's kind of one population. The other population is if you're at a company and you're doing a robotics project, right? Those are people who suddenly have real world um, skills right. in trying to commercialize the technology, right? Because even the students are doing it more as a research and development um, project at school. Um, as soon as you know there's a limited amount of funding, and if you run out of funding that you no right. longer have a job, suddenly um, everything kind of accelerates in terms of what um, people are delivering. And as an early stage company, we just 
you know, we can't mess around. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta deliver. Go. And honestly, these mm-hmm. factories, man, they, they will, they are, uh, they're adults living in the real world with real jobs and they want, they want a robot that works, uh, that 99.9%. They don't want something that comes on their floor and, and works nine out of 10 times. So, um, so if those are your customers, you have to deliver on their expectations. And is it, uh, what's that conversation like where you tell them, hey, you don't have to have this factory in Asia, we can have it in America? Well, I, I mean, there's no startup that will tell you that changing hearts and minds is an easy uh, is an easy endeavor. I mean, the idea of not just saying, hey, this is a great idea. Also, I want you to go write us a check for our robots. Oh, and by the way, now let's set up a factory here in the U.S. to manufacture all these goods, and um, and it, it, we, you know, are, are you a brand or are you a manufacturer? Because if you're a brand, you you don't make goods. I mean, no brand makes a good. Um, generally speaking, the manufacturer makes the goods. So, um, so I so I think it's been an interesting process. But we've moved manufacturers now. We're feeling pretty good about uh, what that value proposition is, and I hope by the end of this year we'll have um, our first uh, two brands. Um, so the brands and the retailers with their own factories, um, or, or may at least um, deeply involved in making their own goods, and that will really be a first also for this industry. So, um, so the technology is kind of opening up these these uh, opportunities that didn't exist before. And what are the brands? Um, the brands are like, um, uh, you know, if I if I had a. Uh, if I had an alligator on my shirt, right, that would be uh, Lacoste um, or Izod. And so there's going to be a software automation brand. Um, no, there won't be a software automation brand. There'll be the there'll be the apparel brands, uh, Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren. Oh, so uh, the, you'll those get one guys of those will. That's right. Your, your that's right. Yeah, um, those types of companies, Levi's, they'll open um, more and more of their own manufacturing. But so once that happens, then it's game on. It's game on. Yeah, in a very big way. So, Monique, what do you think of this endeavor? Pretty exciting, huh? It's very exciting, and it brings jobs to the U.S., but mm-hmm. high-level jobs. So that's the good thing about technology is that um, many people fear that it replaces jobs um, you know, for people, but in reality, it creates new ones, and this is an example of that. High-level talent is needed in order to make software automation uh, you know, successful in the long term. So now is that part of the challenges when people hear the words robots or they hear automation, they get afraid of like whose job is this kind of getting rid of? And then uh, you're, what you're saying, Monique, is that there is going to be a disruption. There might be a shifting, but there are going to be – this is going to create jobs as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for um, for us, the U.S. consumes 3.4 billion T-shirts annually. It's about 10 T-shirts per person. I have uh, about 100. Yeah. <laughs> so you're ahead of the curve. Heavy user. Um, you're. We're going to be good friends. That. Um, and uh, today, the U.S. Um, has capacity to make um, 100 million T-shirts. Um, so just kind of gives you the context of of how many of these. T-shirts, um, and that's you know polos and V-necks and crew necks and just basic T-shirt long sleeve um, th- that's coming from outside of the U.S. And with this technology, in the next seven years, um, we'll uh, uh, we'll make one billion T-shirts. And for us, um, if you look at the supply chain. That's a hundred thousand jobs up and down the supply chain. So. F- um, 
to kind of bring this technology to be able to scale um, capacity of, of something even like basics uh, of T-shirts. Um, one brings uh, the the sustainability and carbon footprint way down. Um, you're not transporting goods back and forth all over the world. Um, two, it makes the customer happy. And um, three, it creates um, jobs here um, from harvesting the cotton to ginning the cotton to spinning and making the fabric uh, to cutting to sewing um, and then to shipping. Now, how, mu- how much of a time uh, save is it? Like, if, okay, now the, the manufacturing is here in America as opposed to in Asia. How much time does that save in terms of the whole process of getting it in the hands of the customer? Well, I mean, uh, so a T-shirt right now, the um, basic forecast uh, is 12 weeks, 12 to 15 weeks. Um, our forecast is three days. So it's that dramatic. Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. And then that's why people are seeing this as, hey, I got to play around in this space because that's too dramatic to ignore. I can't. That's right. Yep. And it may not be the exact same business model. Maybe you add customization in order to, you have to find a, pl- a good place to start, um, right? And so if you think about all the the branded t-shirts and unique custom graphics that everyone wants on their t-shirt, um, if, if you even custom embroidery, um, you start thinking about those business models. Uh, the companies that have started to engage in those types of business models are already seeing enormous wins. Um, so those types, uh, so that's really what we're seeing with brands is saying, okay, what is the business model that fits the best for this, um, for this delivery or this product type? And then, um, how do we kind of, how do we enable that? And that will be the start. Right, we'll find these, uh, you know, custom T-shirts is a great place to start. Now we realize exactly how to do it, what the most efficient process is, how to integrate all the other steps involved, and now I can do it on more and more um, product. And it's also a great starting place. A point from a technology perspective, I need to develop a solution that someone will pay for and pay, um, you know, uh, repetitively again and again for more and more. So I can then do more research and development on the next solution and then provide that. I can't just um, try and research and develop every single um, different iteration of of uh, apparel automation. And so it's important to kind of find that landing spot, start to, um, get scale in it and then start to look for additional opportunities. So now other than talent, what do you need more of? Um, you know, uh, robotics costs a lot of money. So you're talking about uh, very expensive people, um, which is great. Those are high, high tech jobs. Um, you're talking about a lot of machinery, advanced machinery that's on the floor. Um, so that also creates um, both in kind of your own inventory as well as whatever the customer needs, right? If customer orders uh, 40 work lines to make a T-shirt, that's great. But when are you getting the money and what do you have to buy first before you get the money? Right. Uh, so managing that inventory process is also um, challenging. So, you know, it's always uh, how can I get the best people on board and then how can I have enough money to, to really scale this um, this endeavor. So always the two. Now, Monique, uh, from your standpoint, what do you need more of to help kind of grow this program? We're actually recruiting companies from around the state uh, that have technologies from everything um, to do with artificial intelligence to um, we have a company that has virtual reality um, that helps with picking in the, in the um, warehouses, all types of things. Uh, a lot of things are not necessarily consumer facing. 
when you think of retail, everyone thinks of the mall and clothes. Right. But there's definitely more to retail than just that aspect. And we have companies, um, and it's 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 happening slowly because Atlanta isn't necessarily known for retail. Right. So that's th- the point of the um of the program is to bring more exposure and be that point of contact that people can come to that have an innovation, you know, in that industry. There's really nowhere else in the state of Georgia that we know of that has those kind of resources. To help and them. they might have a resource that they may not connect the dots that it would be appropriate in the retail environment that you can kind of go, Hey, maybe we can use this in this manner and this can help in retail. Exactly. So um, there are many times people have a great, solution looking for a problem right right and that happens a lot in the startup community um many times just being in the environment of atdc coming to events uh, we have a retail technology meetup once a month that's open to the public um and they'll come in and just from being around the different ideas think of an application for their technology that actually advances the industry so um, you know, there's no better place to be to do that than it is here. I'll just add to that. Um, the, the complicated thing about retail and about, um, supply chain logistics and, and innovation is that, um, you're not talking about creating a solution for a customer. You're talking about creating a solution for a customer and their customers and their partners and their vendors. If you create a solution um, for one piece, for one partner, and not take into account the the needs um, and desires and process of the other partners that are in that supply chain, your solution is dead. Um, it, it just won't work. And so it so has to work holistically. It has to work holistically. And that is, especially if you're coming from outside and you're creating a solution for a customer. And, right. and it's any a sort mental of shift, right? It is. So you need groups, you need associations with resources to be able to open your eyes, not just to that one, but all the different pieces and then be able to, um, to introduce you. Cause at the end you, you, probably need to get slapped around a, a little bit to, mm-hmm. to know exactly, um, you know, where you fit and, and how that fit um, works for everyone. Well, if Pete, if somebody wanted to learn more, what's the coordinates? Um, yeah, you can go to softwareautomation.com um, and there's a contact us. And if you, um, if you're looking, if you're specifically uh, wanting to write a check for software, you can email me at Pete, uh, Pete at softwareinc.com. Um, if you're someone who wants to get a job um, in robotics, you can also email me um, at that, that same email address, and I'll, I'll make sure you get to the right person. And then the website for software automation is software automation? Softwareautomation.com. Yep. And, uh-huh. and you can not you can go on YouTube and see what we're doing. Um, there's some pretty cool projects. And Monique, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or learn more about the retail tech program? Oh, they should visit uh, atdc.org, and they can book office hours with me directly there on the website. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Well, thank you both for sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio. (laughs) 